0: This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk.
1: Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. I've been <laughs> in a couple
2: of plane emergency situations. <laughs> what? Uh, this is just some I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you, Maybe, like, like maybe You Like It, Maybe Don't. don't.
0: hello i'm jake and this is the maybe you like it podcast the podcast where we take plays films and more that have never been staged before or are never likely to be staged again and we talk about how we stage them as always i'm joined by caleb hello hello caleb and this week we are joined by designer and supreme court justice to be Rhiannon ogden jones hello hi
2: jake (laughs) How
1: are you doing, Re?
2: Yeah. I'm good. How are you?
1: You don't need to laugh so hard at the idea of Rhi being no, super important. No, it was the, no, I was laughing at her cringe
0: face. Is what I was laughing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At. Um, but uh, no, we're all we're all very proud of uh, Re. Ree is well. Re, what, what is what is your current? what is your what are you doing right now tell, tell the world
2: i mean right now i'm still riding out the end of whatever the unearths going on but um more generally i'm between a master's and a phd so waiting for one to finish and the next one to start
1: in law that's <laughs> no 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 no, no. <laughs> segue
2: from astrophysics but, into re- supreme court actually
1: re-, re is also a dear friend of the podcast and of Maybe You Like It and has been a big part of um, our our journey so far as a production company. So, yeah, we're very happy to have you on, Um And we're very excited to be talking about Clint Eastwood's 2016 film, Sully, about um, the uh, miracle on the Hudson. Um, and uh, this was, yeah, directed by Clint Eastwood, based on the book by um, Chesley Sullenberger himself, uh, starring Tom Hanks, Erin Eckhart, uh Mike O'Malley, James uh Jamie Sheridan and uh Laura Linney and also others. There's lots of people in this film, I guess. <laughs> um and uh yeah, Ree, would you be up for giving us a rundown of the
2: plot? Sure. So as you've just said, the plot follows the story of the miracle on the Hudson and the aftermath of that. So it follows the story of Captain Chesley Sullenberger, who was a pilot with American Airways for many, many years, and also worked in like air flight safety. And he made the decision after both his engines blew out due to bird strikes to land on the Hudson, because he couldn't see a way of landing at the destination airport, which was Charlotte Douglas International Airport. And given that the incident occurred in 2009, so 10 years after 9-11, didn't want to foresee another New York incident of that magnitude. And the film basically follows um, Sully um, overcoming the impact of the crash, both in terms of air flight investigation and the trials that go on following it, and also his own personal struggles. So one of the things I really like about the film is the side story that's kind of the dynamics that the crash has on his marriage and how his wife is affected and coming to terms with that and it kind of shows how PTSD plays out in all these different characters
1: yeah i i think i mean i think that sums up well it's kind of what jake was saying just before we started like the actual sort of story of this is the is really the 3 minutes on the plane in which it's crashing and they have to make a decision and, but it's explored through the, the aftermath um, as you say in Sully's marriage uh, in his sort of uh, professional relationship with his other, um, his co-pilot and through these sort of trials that are going on around it. But the whole thing keeps returning to, and it's constantly focused on what happened in that three minutes that the plane was crashing um, and it's told in a sort of nonlinear way. So we kind of, told the plane crash multiple times, but each time it's interesting because not each time it doesn't give us a completely different perspective. Uh Like, you know, it's not from a completely new character or anything like that, but each time it's sort of shifting our perspective slightly and showing us a slightly new dynamic of what was taking place on the flight, which is interesting.
0: It's weird because if you look back on it, you're like, oh, wait a minute, you told me the same story three times. That Yeah. It was just the same. But actually... Yeah, as you say, the first time it focuses on the uh, air traffic controller, and the second time it focuses on the passengers, and the third time it focuses on the cockpit.
1: I would say, which yeah, but it shows you bits of all of them, yeah, every, every single time, time, which makes it, which is weird. what makes it feel. And and when I was watching with my sort of screenwriter interesting, interest hat on, um, I, I was like, I was watching the first act and I was like, it, it kind of holds off showing us the crash for like 20 or 25 minutes, which of a 90 minute film is quite a long time. And I was like, oh, it showed us the crash and that, that wasn't all that interesting. That wasn't the most interesting way of showing us the crash. And then the second time it showed us, I was like, well, that's, you know, maybe that's a bit repetitive. And then the third time, you, I was like oh I I get it like this is why it's showing us this in in this way and it's really really effective and I feel like the best possible way of telling this story on screen in the way that it, it repeats itself with these these not changes but these minor adjustments to the way the story is being told each time. Yeah and
0: using the same words as well because it's verbatim. The thing
2: that I find really interesting as well is it kind of when you read about how people experience and recover from PTSD, the storytelling kind of reflects it. So we see him avoiding thinking about the actual crash for a very long time at the start and that's reflected through the kind of flashbacks we see. So we see like focusing on the air control of the recordings, the factual side of it and then we see the guilt Mm. associated with the passengers and that he's reflecting on the passenger experience and these emotions and then it's not till like the third time when he's almost forced in the air traffic court situation to face the facts and, like, the actual impact of the crash that we see him reflect on the crash itself. So I thought that was a really clever way of kind of bringing us along with the emotional turmoil that he's going through.
1: Yeah, and in that last time, he's fully acknowledging his role in it, um, which he's kind of refusing to do up until that point. I think that's that's really true.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the kind of, like, the DSM definitions of PTSD they kind of hold off on letting people have it until a good amount of time afterwards. Um, and this follows such a, such an immediate period is the like the two weeks after the crash, yeah. which is crazy. It's, I don't know well I don't know whether how true it is in, in terms of the investigation, but it's, it's crazy the way he is treated in the film. Um,
1: yes, yes.
0: But yeah, um, you're completely right. Really. It, it shows us that kind of journey he goes on to come to terms with it himself. Um, and it is, it is, even though you know what happens, it's quite emotional when he is finding out that he there's 155 yeah. people. Um, is there any particular reason really why you brought us this film in particular?
2: Um, yeah, so there's kind of two reasons. Um, so firstly, bit of a plane fanatic at the moment, uh, shamefully admitted. I was really bored after finishing finals and got really into plane crashes. And I think planes and like these closed spaces are a really interesting thing to explore in theatre because you know, it's one of the few instances where you have this intimate space already created. So it means you can play around a lot more with the fourth wall, which I think is really fun. And then secondly, I find it a really difficult concept to try and think about how you'd stage it just because of the crucialness of the flashbacks. So how you kind of tell this non-linear story in what is a very linear setting and almost how to you know like n- everyone accepts you can't show a plane crash on a stage so it's then even in the film it was CGI so it's then like how you bring in these different parts of the story into a real theatrical context
1: yeah i think that's that's really interesting and and you know and the other thing as well is this film is is not theatrical at all i would say it it holds back so much from being melodramatic to the extent that the whole film feels the end, the ending is melodramatic. Jake, I- I'll admit, I did well, a face actually, but actually, <laughs> actually the film, actually, given the the subject matter, the film is incredibly understated. Tom Hanks never raises his voice in this film at yeah. all. No,
0: I I think for me the melodrama comes in the overuse of the push in. I don't know whether whether you agree with that. So there is a yes, lot of times yeah. where sully has a line where it's something like brace for impact or um evacuate or something like that and before he says it there's a kind of very fast push in on his mouth yes um, and yeah. i found those very over the top but uh, but
1: you know what it's a dramatic f- they're you know, few and far between yeah
0: it's a few it's and far between. like it's a dramatic thing yeah. like it's
2: fine to i be
1: just dramatic. think it in in someone else's hands this film would be like boardrooms of people shouting at each other about what happened on this plane crash yeah and actually what the film is is these really um considered conversations between people which i think is really fascinating and to put that on stage how do you keep it feeling understated in this way which i think is important because i think what it's trying to get across is that sully wants this to feel like an understated thing that he doesn't want this to feel dramatic um how do you do that whilst also making it feel theatrical
0: well should we get into it then any, <laughs> any big, big ideas on how we would put Sully on stage?
2: I think probably just thinking very broadly, like in a storyline way, I think one of the central things you kind of just touching on it then is this idea that you have this central pivot of Sully, who's like this calm, grounding force, but then you have the hysteria around him. So I think mm. in staging it, it would be quite, you know, interesting to maybe use to maybe use like a central pivotal focus to kind of show the grounding that Sully brings and then bring the hysteria around it. Now, I don't know whether the central focus could be the air traffic investigation, whether it could be like overlooking the Hudson, but I think you need a central point and then chaos around it to reflect that.
1: Yeah, I I think in some ways, if you can get an actor with enough gravitas on stage, they can be your focal point that you work around in that I would say having them, one, never leave the stage but two maybe even never straying too far from the center spot in their blocking and you block everything around them in terms of the the action um but i think you're right perhaps we do need some kind of setting to ground things in um i wonder even about that setting being um and this might be this slightly strange and quite different from the film, but this the, the setting you ground everything in being Sully's hotel room that he's staying in in the in the is it the Marriott or something like that. So every time he's being called into these meetings uh, at, at for the, the hearing and the trial um, and every time he's reflecting on the crash um, and all of these things, it's all happening around him being alone in his hotel room reflecting on what's happened in the last week the last two weeks as the film goes on Mm,
0: you've reminded me of um of hamilton actually (laughs) um which you know a niche (laughs) reference for us all no just this idea of the kind of revolve being used as a device to bring people to the main character or to bring Mm. things to the main character because i don't know if the designers of hamilton would agree with this but it feels to me a lot of the time and it's just certainly in some of the songs that Hamilton is kind of on the revolve and then people kind of come to him and then they pass him and they come away from him and they come to him and they bring him things and they go away. And he kind of is not static, but he is in the center of the tension sort of thing. And it's about him. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if, yeah, like, you know, the, the, the plane fuselage could like come around him and he's sitting down and then it goes away and he's at a table and then he goes away and he's at a bed.
1: Yeah. I think that's, to me, that's kind of, that is kind of it. I think it would be really interesting to try that. And, you know, even moments where he's not in the action of that scene, for example, in the air traffic control scenes, you 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 bring the air traffic control scenery um, and characters around him, and it's like he's there in third person watching it um, in that moment. And then in the moments where he actually was experiencing it in the past, you then have him experiencing it... Um, in the first person as well. And I think that could be an interesting way of of having this constant shift in setting whilst also having an, a constant focus on Sully.
2: I think you could go even further than that. And like when you think about how the air traffic control thing is done, it's still, I feel like Sully is ever present in that. It's very clear that he's in communication. And I think what might work really well is kind of to re-emphasize the centrality of Sully in that conversation because, you know, they're throughout, throughout that scene, they're constantly, you know, they refer to the plane, but they're referring to him in doing so. And I think what you could do is if in bringing the air traffic control room to him, you could make what is a conversation 4,000, 5,000 miles up in the air, seem like an in-person conversation. And I think that would kind of Um. reemphasize his centrality.
0: That's really yes. cool. That's really cool. It's yes. actually like the conversation happens like opposite
1: each other, like they're like, they can see each other. That is really I cool. I love that. That reminds me of, um, sorry to bother you that we did on the podcast before with, um, with Colette where mm. he's, he's, um, on the phone to them as a, as a, like a cold cooler, but he's like sat like in their bathroom with them and he's like lying in their bed with them and stuff. And I, I think that's really a neat way of um pr- putting our main character into settings that he wasn't necessarily in
0: can i bring in now my stupid idea <laughs> <laughs> you can you can because we can dismiss it mean exactly <laughs> my, my stupid idea is essentially i had all the same thoughts you had Ree, and then i looked and i thought yeah but it's still like a big film like there's low there's 555 people on the plane and then there's all the people in that courtroom at the end of the they don't they're not important i don't really know why there's certain people in that room but they're there and then there's all the rescue workers but actually the film Mm. is just about him and his trauma and it does connect with his family although i don't know they don't i don't feel like they that plot really gets resolved they just they just call a few times i i actually think this film is quite misogynistic every most of the women we encounter just kind of want to kiss him it's a bit odd i think (laughs) um anyway um I just kind of went, I just kind of thought, okay, so they've made it, they've made it a small story. Can we make it even smaller for the stage? So then I've Mm. gone, is this a one man show?
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You know what though? Like, (laughs) like, I mean, I, I'm going to say, I don't want it to be a one man show, but I was thinking about making it really small as in so small, you could put it in a fringe venue um, but with a one man show, you know, you have this opportunity to jump around in time in a way you can't, well, you can obviously in shows with bigger casts, but that constant stream of consciousness monologue allows you to fall in and out of different sort of like temporal settings really easily. Jake and I watched together, um, at the Oxford Playhouse a couple years ago, uh, Miles Jupp in the life I lead. um, which was just this really, really beautiful story that was kind of told mostly linearly, but then it would just sometimes fall out of the linear story that it was telling. And I think that that's a really exciting way of telling stories through a, a one-person show. And it it would make sense for Sully in a way. Um, but I also think perhaps that pulls the, the focus too extremely in and we might lose some of... I think we would lose some of the 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 dramatic uh tension that you get in the way he is being treated differently between the public and the private
0: yeah although i'm i'm thinking basically of one of those one person shows where there's a lot of like sound cues where like people talk to them to the person oh, but they're yeah, recorded sort yeah. of thing so that we still get okay. that kind of changes in context but no i think I, I there's something funny about it for some reason. I think yes, it's just because it's yes. too uh, it's it's the melodrama, I think. It's the melodrama <laughs> of it that I that I puts me off of it. Because my other stupid idea, I had two stupid ideas. Okay. <laughs> my other stupid idea was that for the scenes when we we're in the plane, we like we don't like fully like Universal Studios ride it, but we do like <laughs> but we do make oh. we do like make the plane scenes immersive not in the not like you know like you're in the plane but yeah we create this sense of like the room is experiencing it rather than watching it up beyond the fourth wall on stage if that makes sense
2: yeah so i was thinking this as well so i went to what did i go see i went to see fiddler on the roof and something i thought they did really well was they kind of built the village around the auditorium so the mm. audience were effectively, you know, the other villagers, and there was a lot of like off-stage acting within the auditorium. And I was thinking, in this context, it would be kind of really interesting if you could create, like I said originally, you have like the aud- the passengers on the plane, so the audience in this case who are hysterical, with this grounded character. So it would be interesting to see how you could imitate hysteria within an audience and then from a practical point of view that would like scale down your cast massively.
1: Well so this is that this is exactly what I was thinking in terms of is there a way that we can build this for a smaller venue or even a a fringe venue or a fringe audience and yeah I think it's absolutely how do we make the audience whatever crowd we need them to be and the thing that actually made me think of it wasn't even the the scenes earlier on uh, in the plane and things, it was that final scene when they're at the um, the trial and there's this whole room of people and they ask them before they play the recording of what happened in the cockpit, they ask everyone to put on the headphones to listen. And I kind of thought in that moment, you could mic up our um, our uh, Sully and Jeff characters and everyone puts on headphones and and then th- as they, you know, they perform it live, but it's being fed uh directly into your headphones as well so it's like you're experiencing more as an audio you know we in that sense we don't even need to show the action we could even encourage people to close their eyes and listen and it's and you're experiencing that moment in audio and then other moments so that's a moment where we kind of asking the audience to play a different role and to do it in a different way so you know just experiencing um what is audible but then in another moment like the moment where they're um evacuating the plane you could even you know especially I think it would work well if you had a raised stage you could even be like helping the audience up onto the stage as if they're going out onto the wing um waiting to be rescued and then get them back into their seats at the moment they would be rescued it might be that might feel a little clunky but I think you could make it work somehow but basically I think you could you could get this down to a cast of literally four or five um and you've got Sully and you've got Jeff and you've got the people interviewing um and then those people also could uh, multi-role as uh, the air stewards and uh, Sully's wife and 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 all of those uh, sorts of characters that that need to be uh, sort of filled in uh, throughout.
2: I was going to say, so one idea I did have that I thought would be quite interesting along the immersive theatre lines is if you did kind of reconstruct the space you're in and i was thinking mainly through like off stage decor and lighting to imitate the air marshal trial and you make your wow. audience all those army generals and the like who are in there um what would be what would be quite cool and you could again like flip between hotel room and trial quite easily would be the use of the use of a psych to do like a lot of the background things so something I really enjoyed in... Have you seen the new version of Rent? They did, like, a new televised version. I have not. Um, For all the HIV articles that were in the news at the time, they played them around the auditorium to kind of show the news and the emerging headlines. And I think a really clever way you could move this story on would be to... So you know how throughout the film he keeps like turning on the TV and he's on the TV. Yeah. You could have these different things on the TV and kind of use that to pilot the plot almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that could be that could be interesting. So wait, are you saying to project that onto a psych?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah okay. Yeah. And and that's good as well because you can make it really big. So it's like the whole space is consumed by him, the small person on stage, and the huge image of him on screen. Uh, through these news reports yeah okay so let's kind of figure out where we're at because we've had a few ideas chucked in Uh, so how are we feeling about a particular space what sort of thing are we aiming at in in terms of scale do we think
2: I think you'd probably want it small enough that immersive would be effective I think if you have too big an audience you kind of lose any attempt to break down the fourth wall effectively yeah I think you would i don't know i quite liked the suggestion i do think the wing thing would be horribly messy and we would have <laughs> objecting audience members but i do kind of like this idea of you know raised spatial definition and the idea of like the stage as a platform of separation whether it be like in the courtroom in the kind of you know raising sully up in his own position that's separate yeah but i do think you need some kind of separation and distinction between Sully and then everyone else, whether that be the other cast or the audience as everyone else.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because often on this podcast, when we're talking about immersive theatre, we're also talking about either site-specific or stuff that is uh, taking us out of a proscenium arts theatre and trying something completely new in a different space. I think I quite like the idea of how do we um, how do we decide or, or encourage a role for the audience in this that is you know, has immersive elements whilst also sticking to a traditional proscenium arch space. And I think there is a way of doing that. And I think it's an exciting way of, you know, potentially even making the most of, uh, lots of the, the theaters that we have across the UK outside of London that are sort of medium scale proscenium arch theaters that, uh, that are, you know, I think are inviting Im- immersive pieces, but um stuff that doesn't require this sort of site-specific or completely changing the configuration of a theatre.
2: Yeah, I agree. I feel it's very, like, town theatre kind of size. You know, your typical, like, 400 to 900 seat, slightly run down, been about since Victorian <laughs> times, town theatre that gets really quirky, random players that nobody's quite heard of before.
1: And then they get sully. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 I mean, if they're like that, it's because of a, a lack of attention, yes,
1: I guess.
2: Yeah. yeah, no, it wasn't a criticism and, yeah. of them. It was like this endearing character that yeah. they have, that they're very community-centric and kind of, you know, they're a part of the architecture of the space that they're in. And they aren't yeah. necessarily well-maintained, but that's kind of their charm.
1: Yeah, The places
2: yeah. where people go to, like, try their two, three, four-woman man plays. And,
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: I have my village, like our town theatre, in my mind. Just, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah.
1: and and I think that's it, right? I think there's, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that regional theatre, which is a term that I isn't perfect, but one that we all use in the industry at the moment, um, regional theatre is is I think some is 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 so dynamic in the way that it it, it, it involves community and in the way that it. Uh, you know, it is so regionally specific and localised and that's really exciting. But I think as well, it also, it does uh, often lack attention um, from the sort of theatre industry at large. And I think creating something that could fit well within one of these spaces and could be toured would be uh, a really, yeah, I think an, an exciting place to put this story on. And it's a story, it is a story about, people and and it's understated in that way like it it just doesn't i think it would be a disservice to the narrative to put it on in like a gigantic west end theater with a a crazy budget of millions and millions of pounds when this is a a a film that i think in staging it you know it it offers an opportunity to create something that is understated but exciting at the same time
2: yeah no i agree i think it's very much it's not like an opera house or no you know, kind of kind of play it's uh it's scaled back and yeah i would i think the distinction i was trying to draw is i wouldn't put it in like a city theater i would put it in a town theater which i don't know how helpful a distinction that is but right
1: yeah. right yeah yeah and, and i think if we could just only choose venues that have exactly 155 seats that would be <laughs> maybe we change
0: the number depending on how many seats from the audience or whatever can
1: you do that that's weird
0: no that's weird isn't it (laughs) because that's what i was going to ask because if you do the whole wing style then suddenly you've got to think about like flooding the auditorium and all this kind of stuff um but i think you're right that it's like i don't think that really adds anything here like you've got to ask why you're doing it
2: something that you could do that i've seen done quite effectively so there's a theatre near me that's in the round And you book normal seats and normal, um, you know, to go see it. But then on the day, you can get banquet seats, which are effectively bean bags on the floor around the bottom of the auditorium. And what happens a lot is this kind of space is the space that becomes immersive. So I guess what you could do is kind of incorporate that kind of seating or that kind of experience into it and just have selected parts of the auditorium that are more immersive than others.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true. And that's that's more accessible as well, right? It, you, you can have parts of the audience that, that can relax knowing that they're not going to be asked to be involved in any part of the play. <laughs> um, and it offers up sort of two different ways of, of viewing the play. One as a complete outsider, a completely sort of third-person viewer, and one as someone that is involved in moments of the story. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can't actually think of something that's really offering that up as a theatre experience that you can either have this more relaxed, I'm just a, a viewer, or a more immersive um, part to play. Yeah, yeah. Train spotting is coming to mind. In that, is that in what that they that they, they do? Because I I was under the impression they w- it was fully immersive. In that, so like, there was are
0: it kind there. So there are some seats. In the version I saw, obviously it moves around a little bit between tunnels, but there are some seats where you pay more to not be involved, which is fun. Interesting. Um,
1: Interesting. <laughs>
0: you're sitting further away, it's because the involvement in, <laughs> in train spotting involves being having shit flung at you. Yeah, so, I was going to um, say
1: this. This <laughs> this immersive experience is much nicer. I would say in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, um, I like this idea of yeah this sort of. Yeah, kind of medium-sized town theatre. We're offering this sort of part immersive, part traditional uh, production. I think this focus on Sully is, is obviously really important, but actually I I think there is value in having this extra few cast members to introduce something that is... I was gonna say more traditionally dramatic, but I don't think that's necessarily what I mean. But it, it it offers that dramatic tension in dialogue as well. And I think as well, for me in the film, there's such a great um there's such a great sort of relationship shown between the co pilots who are I mean, I don't know exactly how being a pilot works, but you get the impression that they didn't really know each other before the crash, right? I guess co pilots swap quite often depending on schedules and things.
0: So it's interesting. Uh, Ree might know more about this than me but my my understanding is that the kind of health and safety airplane health and safety people have long established or maybe not long established but have established that people work better when they work in regular teams uh, okay. um, and that is that is something that's established something that's been uh passed on to medicine as well um so right my, right it's my psychology degree talking um but yeah <laughs> but so i think the, at, the,
1: at the very least they, they know each other as colleagues and not much else
0: right? well no well that's the interesting thing is that that's the impression oh. i get however at the, at the yeah. beginning of this
1: film they do
0: seem to suggest that they haven't flown together before um, okay, okay which yeah. yeah is weird because as i say but maybe that's something that came in after this but i doubt it because they worked very well together it must have been something else
2: i think the big thing here is kind of so i don't think it's stressed as much in the film but you kind of see it hinted at all the way through Is kind of sully's position as a senior pilot almost like a mentor and a trainer and then this kind of junior pilot underneath them
1: yes yes
2: and Especially like given the fact that the flight was LaGuardia to sh- like Charlotte Douglas. It's a very small, you know, cross-America flight. So yes. I do wonder the extent to which that's kind of going on. And then looping back to Jake's comments about a one-man play before, it kind of got me thinking, would it be really interesting to tell the story in this kind of paired narrative And you could go about it two ways. So you could either do the Sully-Jeff story and kind of returning to the setting it in a hotel room. You could have them sat talking about the event, like working through it together. You could have them sat in the cockpit together. Yeah. That kind of side of it. And then the second thing, especially thinking about um, the comment about the play being a bit misogynistic, I think it would be really interesting maybe if you told the story through the Sully and, uh, what's she called? Um, Lorraine. Like through the Sully-Lorraine phone calls that they make, I think that would be a really interesting way of telling the story as well.
1: You know, if if I was to do this as an audio drama, I would absolutely tell it through the Sully and Lorraine uh, phone calls only and then with the but then with the snippets of the recordings of the air traffic control conversation and the cockpit conversation um used as well and i think that'd be as an audio drama that'd be really exciting i think for the stage you can do both i think and 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 you know this is a a film that runs for only an hour and a half if we're adding in these these um immersive elements involving the audience I I don't see any reason why you couldn't write more into the Sully-Lorraine conversations uh, and maybe even like reflecting back on like, because this doesn't take any flashbacks beyond the crash. We don't see anything from beyond from before even yes we do we have when he's a we kid have, yeah oh yeah okay yeah that's that's and fair. We have
2: like the first time he has to land on water and stuff this is well. true
1: which are elements that i wasn't even imagining we'd put in the stage play if <laughs> that makes sense no me no me neither but, me neither, but yeah. i wouldn't mind some flashbacks that call back to more of their relationship mm-hmm. and actually at the very end of the film after the credits begin to roll we see uh, and this is the moment that kind of broke the film for me a little bit because it's it's so incredibly cheesy. But we see everyone who was on that plane reunited with Sully, and Sully makes a little speech about you know how, you know how he feels. There's a connection between them all, and it's all incredibly cheesy and very American. And then his wife makes a, a short speech as well about how grateful she feels to them all and, and the, the Christmas cards they write and stuff like that. So to build a little bit more of of their relationship before and, and what is she like as a person and what is their marriage like? And then to put that back into the narrative afterwards as well of, of um, yeah, building that sense of connection between the people that experienced that flight, I think would be really great. And I think as well for an audience that we are adding these immersive elements to build them almost into the personal relationship of Sully um, with his wife would mean that you come away from that, Production feeling like you were a part of something, which I think would be a really great thing to be able to put onto stage as well. So I guess what I'm saying is, I think we could use all of those those things you're talking about, Re, and I think we could expand on what the film offers us and, and write more into uh, these these two relationships that Sully has with different people. Um, because there's no reason this couldn't run two hours or, or something if you mm. if you can write good stuff to to make to expand you know build on their relationships contents
0: get good content yeah Yeah, because to me as i as we've already said but the the relationship with lorraine at present to me is like one phone call where she finds out that it's happened and is really worried one phone call where she says that they're gonna lose the flat they rent out i think yes and then one where (laughs) and then one where like, she's just like, it's just hit me again sort of thing, Yeah, oh, I nearly lost the, you. And, and that's the, it. Yeah, yeah. And, like, those are, I mean, I'm, I, 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 on the one hand, it's like, it's very realistic, because actually, I, I reckon that probably is the kind of, that probably is kind of right. But it means that she doesn't really have any, like, wants, or, like, she's not, I don't, like, I don't, I'm not, I just don't really know what her role is. Yeah. And other I, than
1: there's a supportive voice. That's it, right, um, though, because the whole thing is so, so tightly focused on Sully. And... And so desperately economic as a as a as a piece that it, it is what role did she play in those two weeks, apart from someone for Sully to speak to at moments when he felt he needed to. Um, but I do think there's more you can make of those conversations, and those conversations can call back to their relationship and the and the rock that she is for him if that makes sense um more more explicitly in some ways i also do think yeah that whole that was another i i like the film overall but that scene where she's explained that they might lose the flat that they rent out i was like this guy's a pilot like it's not like they don't make money <laughs> it's like this is not this is not the way to endear me and feel like there's personal stakes by telling me that this man who is probably quite wealthy might lose a, a property that he owns that isn't his house <laughs> like i was like well <laughs> the um, thing
2: though the thing i think it does um and i think is actually quite clever and very subtle and i didn't pick it up until i re-watched it recently for this purpose is you kind of, not only do we see the flashbacks tell the same story three times, but we see the same story told three times. So we see the wife factually hearing about the crash. Then we have like the Sully through air traffic control factually hearing about the crash. And then we have the insurance company factually hearing about the crash. Then we have all three of them in kind of the you know, the panic and shock of what's happened. So her focus is the girls, the economics, how they yeah. going to live. You have the insurance company who it's, you know, like, shit, how are we going to pay the insurance <laughs> dividends to all these passengers? And you have Sully and it's like going back to the cockpit. Did I do anything wrong? Is this my career over? Yeah. And then you finally have the resolution, which is all three parties realizing that that was the only outcome. Yeah. So I do think you have like this dynamic between these three act, like three actors almost. I don't like to think of the insurance company as <laughs> <laughs> you know like one person. I think it breeds too much sympathy. But you do have yes, like yeah. the insurance company. Sully and the wife all going on this same journey from very different places
1: yeah I I definitely wouldn't fault the film on its structure I think that that's one of the things that it manages to balance really well I I guess that is it in some ways is how can we build into the structure just more just give us more you know more meat on all of these characters who aren't Sully because really that's Mm -hmm. all the film offers us and I think there is a way of, of doing that on stage and actually you know the stage Offers us a a place that is built for conversation. That's you know, theatre is about dialogue more than anything else. Uh, well, you know, apart from a, a one person show, um, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's about it's about um, you know, it's about people on stage talking to each other. And so to to write more into these scenes of people just talking to each other, I think is yeah, absolutely the way to do this. Yeah, I'd even I'd even maybe suggest that we change
0: the structure from story told one way two ways three ways to these conversations we're talking about building these relationships and talking and and establishing them and establishing stakes and what is going on in the investigation and what happened and then maybe snippets of flashbacks and snippets of things and maybe like little clips of recordings from stuff but not actually do the whole thing like they do three times in the film until like that one time at the end yeah, and I think maybe that'll have more weight.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a possibility. I, I think the key is, as Rees pointed out, is having that structure of here's the here's what happened, the bare bones, the facts, and then here's a a, a more a emotional retelling that that sort of is all about the the human side of it, and then here is what actually took place in the cockpit. I think having that as a sort of overall structure to still work within but being be, being able to like you say add different snippets of different things within it and change that is yeah, absolutely doable. I think
0: that's what that's what's running through the film that maybe is not lost on us but is not as interesting for us as Brits. Is the whole like New York's finest sort of yeah. kind of thing that's going on? Yeah. We've got oh, the NYPD scuba team, which I'm very oh, impressed. Oh, it's as so a thing.
1: funny, scuba um. police, man! Can you imagine being a scuba police? <laughs> scuba cops. Um, it's just I no just. No packed-
2: you just scuba met down the river (laughs) tan
0: that is is it must be like is that the only thing they've ever done yeah yeah
2: (laughs) i mean
1: that but that is a spin-off like police procedural that i want to see i want to (laughs) see scuba cops i want to see nine seasons of it tomorrow please give me scuba cops (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I think, but I think you're right, I th- and I think that that's um, that's clearly a, a fascination of Clint Eastwood's because what he leaves us with at the end of the film is text that says New York pulled together that day to save 155 lives, and I think to us uh, from this conversation that isn't it's Sully. I mean. The whole thing is about Sully looks beyond himself and, and he, he doesn't take the credit. And it isn't only Sully that does it. It's lots of other factors that meant that they survived it. But the focus of the story has to be Sully. Um, and and so that pulling together of people, um, it can be implicit in the dialogue and it can be made very clear by Sully that he wants the focus to be on everyone, not just him. But the story does focus on Sully and it can on stage, I think.
2: I think kind of what you were saying before about the audience going away with this feeling that they've been part of something though kind of implicitly achieves this, like, New York, I'm not going to do the accent. I'm, I'm no actor like Jake. Um, but it kind of... I,
0: I did not do the accent.
2: <laughs> you did accent. I did,
0: I did an accent. I did an accent. I didn't do the
2: accent. a <laughs> slight Good like 1920s news New York. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but yeah, I think... I don't know. I think wherever we talk about a disaster and if we look at um if we look at other like stage examples of this kind of thing or even just films about this kind of thing you always see oh just not the wall you always see this pulling together um and yeah I don't think we should stress it and I do think as well kind of there was this a lot of attempts to draw this subtle tie between 9-11 and the Hudson River landing that I do think would be not lost on a UK audience, I think you know, like nine eleven marks a lot of people's memories. People often, when you say what you were doing, can tell you what they were doing. Yes, but I think just without the physical connection to New York City, some of that might be, you know, like it's better to focus on the community spirit that these disasters, whatever their context, bring about.
0: Yeah, yeah, to generalise it, yes, yeah, it's called flashbulb memory. Um, that people people tend to remember what they were doing when major events occur. Um yeah there is that kind of clunky bit where the guy goes new york's not had any good news for a long time yeah especially not involving a plane yeah
1: but you know i do think that would play better with a new york audience and i think i don't know how to describe it it's it's so embroiled in the the recent new york memory and and i think it will continue to be for for generations to come um but well, yeah when we look beyond new york i mean we could put this on in new york but when we look beyond new york um it is much more about yeah that getting to the end and, and giving the audience that sense of being a part of something without having to point ne- necessarily at new york as the thing that they were all a part of
2: i also think kind of you know the plain simulations that they do i feel the graphics and cgi there plays a lot into this you know, New York plane disaster narrative. And I don't think that could be effectively replicated in the same way on stage. So, you know, the fact that we see when they're doing the trial pilots, it shows them going into buildings again. And I just, yeah, I would personally, if I was staging this kind of steer away from that kind of narrative and focus more on the collectivism and the experience, as opposed to getting into the nitty-gritty of planes and buildings.
1: Yeah, although I did have a thought about um, having our own plane simulator that you invite with the audience <laughs> up <laughs> up to play, but making it impossible to win, kind of thing.
0: <laughs> no, I was I that was that was going to be my next question. Is it was how do we like? It's such a focus of like the drama of is it crashable. Yeah. Um, again, I, it's a part that I struggled to believe. I struggled to believe that that Solly had to point out that they hadn't accounted for decision-making time. Like, uh, I I don't know whether... Again, I don't know whether it was true. I struggled to believe I, it. I but, wonder if it's um, a
1: simplified version of events. Like, he was pointing out yeah. an extra element of time, but whether it's been dumbed down for, you, you know, the likes of you and me yeah. that know nothing about planes, I guess. Yeah. I do
2: feel... And, yeah, I think this is something that might be interesting to focus on, I don't really know, is we get this throughout the film that the insurance company is the baddie, almost. Mm. Um, You know, Airbus appealing to the insurance company is the baddie, and we have, like, the classic Hollywood plot of, you know, our hero, perhaps not necessarily fully heroic and quite humble about his heroicism, but jumping in at the last minute to defeat the evil insurance company. Whereas I think... (laughs) I think if we are going to think about staging it through conversations, what would be a lot more interesting is I do think Airbus were probably looking for a way to avoid the issue and to humanise the insurance company through these conversations because they had their own stakes at play just like the wife did, just like Sully did, just like the passengers did.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think for for me it's that um, making... More of their aim being to get to the bottom of the truth of what, because there is a moment uh, early in the film where, you know, even like coming towards the end of the second act where you do think, yeah like, you know, especially in the conversation with the um, air traffic control, you do think, what was Sully thinking? He just immediately said the Hudson. He didn't really listen exactly to what air traffic control was giving him. And it is only in in the end that we we do realize he really didn't have time to do anything else. Um, but because because the film is so fond of Sully and so antagonistic towards the insurance company, um, we we never we never do truly believe that maybe Sully got it wrong. So maybe finding a way of, of making the insurance company that they you know their real focus is we got we want to get to the bottom of the truth. It's great that 155 lives were saved, but. It would have been much easier for New York that day if they weren't worried about a plane crashing into the buildings and 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 landing on the Hudson and and we had just had you know a, a safe landing at one of these um, airports and I think if you you frame it around that you can get the most out of them being somewhat sympathetic as they have a cause that they are they're fighting for that we can understand and like sort of agree with
0: is there's there's an Aaron Sorkin quote isn't there that's something like uh, in order for a villain to be interesting they have to be believably right or something like that i can't remember exactly what it is but yeah i think i think you're right
2: linking back to the immersive theater point a really clever way i think we could do that is if you make the audience the insurance company if we do set it within this kind of from an audience perspective like you know air marshall auditorium if you try and create a dynamic from the beginning where the audience are on the side of the insurance company from the off, yeah. you then have this really interesting storyline where you're almost trying to convert the audience to what's... I feel the film starts in a position where you're backing Sully. Like, the name of the film yeah. means that you're backing Sully. And I think what would make really interesting theatre, thought-provoking theatre, and also create this collectivism is if we start in a position where, you know, we don't know this story, we're not on Sully's side, Sully isn't a hero, and we kind of use the space to make him the hero by the end. And yeah. you feel like you've come to that verdict yourself as an audience member?
1: It's interesting. I I I get where you're coming from, but I, I do wonder how possible that might be with this story, just given how much there was an outpouring of love for Sully from everyone except the insurance company. But I do wonder about it is, it is that thing of, I think, um, I think what, what we can do is we can ask the audience to be pass passing their allegiances from one side to the other by involving them as, you know, in this immersive way as people in the plane and involving them as people within the insurance investigation and within that court... Well, it's not really a courtroom, like a hearing room. Um, and Is it a courtroom? I don't know.
2: It's what they use for all... It's like an inquiry room because inquiry room. they use the same yeah. for, like... So the CDC used it for coronavirus. They use it when there's Ebola outbreaks. It's just right, for any, right, like... Private actors, but where there's large government stakes involved, so obviously, like the U.S. government has a huge investment in Airbus, kind of thing. Yes,
1: yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's it is the inviting the audience to be an actor within each of those settings invites them to then play these different roles throughout and therefore swap allegiances as as the play goes on. So rather than asking them to be, you're just this thing and you're the enemy to this, and then we have to win you over, you can ask them to, to swap between and see both sides of the argument in that way.
0: Okay, so <laughs> okay. we get them to vote. We get them to vote at the end yeah. as, like, the jury of this thing. Yeah. And if they vote that Sully, like, did the right thing, then, like, yeah, they all go home. But if they all decide <laughs> that they're going to be mean and vote yeah. that he didn't do the right thing, then we just switch to that scene in the Book of Mormon where... Um, the devil comes and tells them they're all terrible, and um, he just does a song. The, the,
1: you know that's what they did in um, in James Graham's quiz. Is they had the whole audience vote um, at the end of the first act. They vote if he, if they think he's guilty, and then they do the same at the end of the second act. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> that, so, that one had a, that one had a point.
1: Um, yeah, that, that one had a point, and also like the, the whole thing is we yeah we don't know if he was guilty or not. Whereas in this, it's very clearly Sully is the good guy by the end. Um, and as shown perfectly by the fact that my favorite moment of the film is when Jeff makes a like a dad joke at the end and everyone in the world laughs, basically. <laughs> he's like, he's like asked, like, is there anything you would have done differently if you had to do it again? And he's like, it, so it happened in january he's like oh i would have done it in july and literally everyone's like ha 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 ha, ha. End credits like it's like it's really it's, it's it is the same vibe as the end of an episode of peppa pig yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i'm here for it i i was a big fan of that as a choice to end your film on that's so good um look speaking I, of ending our film well, I, was, Go I think we're about to say the same thing because <laughs> I was going to say, look, I think I think we're there. I think this is this is the the start of the conversation of how to stage Sully, and I think, um, yeah, I, unless anyone has anything else, I think this is this is how we would probably do it, right? Yeah, I think I think I've got two
0: questions for Ree. Perfect. Uh, well, no, one question for all of us and one question for Ree. Would, would if we're making this two hours? Yes. Where does the interval go?
1: This is a great question. <laughs> well, my my immediate thought is you do it after the um after Sully finds out that all 155 people were saved when he's in the hospital being checked out afterwards. Um cuz I mm-hmm. think you then give the end of act 1 an emotional high and also that all that's left to do really is to ramp up to the hearing and then give us that final revelation of the recording in the cockpit. So it gives us like not much storytelling but the most dramatic storytelling left to do and it allows us to end the act one on this uh, emotional note that then kind of brings us back into the into the uh, towards the ending. Yeah,
2: I like the idea of the emotional like the emotional high but I do wonder if that's kind of you know we were talking about changing around the storytelling and thinking about how the flashbacks are incorporated and I do wonder if that's kind of sticking to the non-linear format of the film um and just yeah if we were going to go down the story route i don't know i'm not quite sure i'd put the interval i think i think you would need a break before you got into the nitty-gritty of the plane crash and that kind of thing but i wonder if starting in the hospital i know it's kind of telling the story linearly but i wonder if that would make sense because you kind of you know, we're starting with the end of the crash, but the start of the story.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's possible. I wonder then. I I kind of think can we can we get an, a a theatre audience to just sit down for two hours and not have an interval? Yeah, nineteen eighty five. I I genuinely I genuinely think. I mean, I've I've seen shows where the first act was an hour and forty five, and then the second act was uh you know 45 minutes or, or an hour or so so i do think you could you could conceivably ask the audience to sit down for two hours and just watch the whole thing through no you could do it and also i think i just i do still
0: think that this film is trying to get to 90 minutes and actually you yeah. could quite easily add all these elements we've said and still keep it less than less than 100 minutes i think yeah, I right. And so you're I right. think you could keep it one act. And also, again, if you make it fast moving enough, then it, you know, if it's this kind of immersive, you're in the plane kind of thing, yeah, the adrenaline pumping, then people, yeah, it's about not letting people have those lulls where they start looking at their watches. Yeah. And I think also part of that is the immersive thing as well. It's this whole, uh, I just think, I think when people don't break the fourth wall, it's much harder to maintain attention for that long. But if we're going to do that in some way, then I think we'll
1: be all right. Or at uh, the very least, a non linear storytelling ask our audience to keep, you know, it's almost like that wondering of what's the next bit of the story that's going to be told, what's going to be revealed to us next. And I think that
0: Yeah, but uh, again, that's difficult within this particular piece where people will go in knowing the end. That's true.
2: I feel like with, and I'm taking like a docudrama musical approach, I feel like with a lot of musicals, we know what's going to happen. Like, we know what's going to happen and come from away. We know the basic plot you know kind of link, keeping on the plane theme um we know what's going to happen in *Lame Is*. we know what's going to happen in a lot of these stories that are about true stories but that's not why we're going to see them nobody's thinking um you know I'm going to go see Come From Away because I don't know what happened um in the aftermath of 9-11 I'm really interested to find out we go see them because we're interested in this personal side
1: yeah yeah that's true
0: yeah, it's interesting because I'm one of those people that I have rarely watched a TV program more than once. I rarely watch a film more than once. I rarely, I rarely go to a play more than once. But I agree that the way that plays are sold is not like that. They are, yeah, they're sold as like you could come again and again. So yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. Re, the other question I had for you is, would if if given the opportunity, would you would you do this?
2: Yeah, I think I would. I think it's I think it's a really interesting thing. Um something I've been mulling over since we've started thinking about this and how we'd stage it. and here's my wild and crazy idea that I know is stupid, but the little the little designer soul in me wants to build a plane on stage, and I know that's I know that's crazy and out there, but when I think about theater I've seen that involves helicopters and planes, I feel it's all a bit of a cop out, you know, nobody ever. They either project it or they have people sat in rows to imitate a plane. And I do think even if you didn't necessarily like build a plane, I do think there would be something very interesting in creating something that you could show the wreckage in the Hudson. You could show the passengers in this enclosed space. You could show... Kind of. So when you were talking about Sully in the center, the idea that came to me would be that you bring in two sides of a plane Mm, with Sully mm, sat mm. in the center.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And I thought that would be really cool. So I guess I would do it. But if I did do it, I think there would be a tiny selfish bit of me that would want to build a plane. And I accept that that is a crazy suggestion for it.
0: I was gonna say if if we're in this kind of medium-sized small space, then I'm imagining like you could build you can make the auditorium feel like the inside of a kind of rather large double decker boeing um and you could and you <laughs> could build a pay- pain in the sense of not in the sense of okay let's go and make something look like extremely expensive fuselage but in the sense of like feeling like you are in making the space feel rounded and making this you self feel like you are in this kind of claustrophobic yeah space that this might is this
2: yeah, yeah this is what I was thinking and even little things so it would obviously depend on the venue but I know the theater near me which is kind of the size I'm envisaging it in has front of seat pockets so even like little things like putting life <laughs> cards in them.
1: That would be really cool and and you know I was think I had been thinking about that that thing of having all the audience wear headphones at the end when we hear the recording of the cockpit even having like the front of house staff, like dressed as uh, stewards and they're bringing they bring round headphones for you all as well <laughs> i think would be really, really oh funny. that'd be great yeah, yeah. And having the
2: front of house staff like put life jackets on well, and stuff yeah, i think and that would be really cool
1: your pre-show like
2: oh sorry as you well, say you've got the exit lighting in a theater and i
1: was gonna say your pre-show announcement can be in the style of a safety announcement at the beginning of a, a flight um or something like that yeah i think that's really fun Oh uh, yeah, nice. Okay, <laughs> is it the oldham Colosseum that you you were mentioning?
2: It right. is. is it? Yeah, because I've seen like a lot of weird, quirky, small, never seen anywhere else or heard of anywhere else in the country plays there, and I just I think it's a really nice space.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, <laughs> let's wrap it
0: up there. Um, Ree, thank you so much. Uh, that has been really fun yeah. to to put
1: onto the stage. You and also yeah, I think it- you got me to watch Sully, which I wasn't going to do, but I actually really liked it. So thanks, Ree.
0: <laughs> yeah, and 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 as I said before we started recording, that was our first Hank's episode.
1: <laughs> it, it, it very
0: much was. This is true, um, which is surprising. After I think this is episode thirty six, I should stop doing that because I keep getting it wrong. We also keep doing um, them,
1: releasing them in orders we're not expecting to of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um yeah which is yeah it's surprising after so many episodes but yeah brilliant um Re, do you have anything to advertise would you like people to find you on the internet
2: perhaps no i'm very no. difficult to find on the internet anyway <laughs> i just want to say thank you for having me it's been really nice
1: oh thanks for coming on Re, and um and yeah w- Listeners, leave Ria alone on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Leave
0: Ria alone on the internet. But if if you're desperate to see something that Rhea's made, then you can come and watch Pleading Stupidity at the Hen and Chickens Theatre from the 6th to the 11th of August, where you will see her lovely set absolutely and Caleb where can people find you online
1: you can find me on uh, Twitter Instagram and Letterbox at Caleb Lebster that's C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R uh, and come check out our our um secondary podcast secondary feels a bit harsh actually <laughs> come check out our our other podcast that I do with um, Harrison Gale um, do try this um what is the name do try this at home um, and and Jake is is set to be Appearing on an episode Any week now When we can pin him down For a, a recording time uh, Jake where can people Find you online? People
0: can find me On Twitter And Letterboxd At Jake Reesh That's J-A-K-E-R-E-E-S-H Or you can find me On TikTok At Jakey Mori um, <laughs> um, uh, For my sins So <laughs> um, Either way uh, we are Maybe you Like It Productions and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It, that's with the letter U or you can find us on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions or you can indeed find us on TikTok at Maybe You Like It Productions underscore or uh, you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or you can drop us an email at info at like uk. let us know what you thought of our staging of Sully, what would you do differently are we being ambitious enough, too ambitious what would you do um, if you would like to be write and star in a one man play about it then <laughs> feel free um, as long as you don't call it Sully I think we probably legally could I, so, you know. I
1: think it would be very dubious <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> public domain <maybe. laughs> is there anything else to say?
0: oh yeah um, and do uh, rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcast, and tell your lovely friends um, because I'm sure they would like
1: to listen to us too but either way maybe you like that Maybe you didn't really. What? So wait, hold on. So you've been in a plane emergency situation, and you didn't mention this when we were recording. This is the post. This is the post thing, Jake. Well, I'm still recording. Are you still recording? <laughs> I'm still recording. You still recording, Ree? All right. You're going to give us the lowdown on on you being in a plane <laughs> emergency situation, even if it's completely uninteresting.
2: I've been in a couple <laughs> of plane emergency situations. What? <laughs> One wasn't that exciting,
1: though. Okay, okay. But one was?
2: Yeah, so I've been in one where... um, This is the boring one, where basically um, this was...
0: That's right, lost leader, lost leader. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this
2: was with—I won't name the airline, actually, although it doesn't exist anymore.
1: Um, <laughs> There's a clue. It is it because out? it's in the sea? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. So one of them was one of them was boring. Um, it was basically coastal runway, but it was back before the airport was properly developed, and the plane landed, but you know the tarmac wasn't great. Okay. And. Various other things. Anyway, the landing was so bumpy the plane had to take off again or it was going to run out of runway. And
1: That is so that that's was quite nuts. That's that's crazy enough for me. All right.
2: <laughs> but the more exciting one was um, we were on a school trip in year nine to Berlin. Man. Because, um, you know, it was a really bonkers school. We went on lots of trips for no reason and the teachers liked holidays. Yeah, yeah. Um so we went on this school trip to Berlin and it was when like 2014 2015 when we had you know the like mini hurricanes across the UK.
1: I'm just going to say yes but I I I do have no idea yeah, what you're talking were, about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there were like trees there were trees being uprooted and it was all okay. you know. <laughs> um, and we were flying back from Berlin into Manchester Airport. Yeah. And we couldn't land because the weather was so adverse over Manchester. So we set off from Berlin because Europe looked pretty chill. And then got over France and the Channel. Lots of thunder and lightning, really strong winds. So kept circling around Manchester, but were blown off course. What? And ended up having to emergency land at Doncaster. What? Um, and yeah, so we we're all on the plane and we'd been on there for like an hour. And, you know, there's not that long a yeah. flight. And we could feel ourselves going round in circles. And then the air hostess comes on and she goes, "Uh, we will not be landing at Manchester. We will be landing elsewhere. Please can you remove any high heels and make sure your baggage is safely stowed? Look at your your leaflet to remind yourselves of the brace position. And when we shout brace, brace, brace. (laughs) Wow sorry and, yeah, that, that's landed. the sentence
0: they prepared when we shout brace 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 <laughs>
1: brace, 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 brace and that's when you brace
0: <laughs> when we shout yeah, brace and... brace brace <laughs>
2: that's ridiculous and yeah like you could see so you could see like water bottles and people's luggage come flying down the wow. plane wow that they hadn't secured and yeah we landed at Doncaster but because they weren't expecting us and because the weather was awful and because you know this plane had been up way longer than it should have been so they weren't quite sure of the state of the plane because we got struck by lightning a few times we kind of all just got told to get off the plane and walk across the runway to get into the airport and we went in you know the back bit where the baggage is we went like round there and all ended up sat on these carousels crazy
1: I re, how did we get through a whole episode of a podcast Talking about a story about a plane having to make an emergency landing, and you don't open with your own personal story of being involved in an emergency I even, landing. I even asked you why you were doing the episode. No, yeah, not because <laughs> of that. Not because of the plane crashes. Gone. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, you know, I'm glad we got that on. Well, at least maybe you like that, and maybe you
2: didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I want your
1: That was a maybe you like it production.
0: Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.